KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. It shook me to the core, but it's changed my, my relation to life. You know, I was like, okay, I really need to be happy. I really need to enjoy life because I saw how quickly you can die. Welcome to My First Day. I'm Andrew Bracken. For this season of My First Day, we're looking at life-changing events, key moments in time that help shape us into who we ultimately become. Anna Tarabrina was a 19-year-old college student from Russia with a strong feeling of wanderlust. When she came upon the opportunity to work and live in the United States for the summer back in 2003, she jumped at it. What she found, though, was a much more lasting experience of love and loss. Here's Anna Tarabrina with her story of My first day. As a child, I always dream of traveling. It was like my, I don't know, I remember being, thinking about how bad I want to go to different countries, but because my parents never could afford it, like I never been to outside of Russia until I was like 19, except Ukraine. So that's why when I had the opportunity, I totally took it. Yeah, I haven't been to the airplane, I think, since I was a child before that. Thinking about it right now, it's like, wow, I hate to go flying somewhere. You know, it's like you stay in, like, this check control, and then you just go on the airplane, and it's like, oh, the air is bad. But at that time, it was, like, so great. Like, everything was new and exciting, and I was going somewhere to the place where I'd never been, and, like, I always wanted to go. Anna, along with her travel companion, Julia, landed in San Francisco and immediately headed to the bus station to catch a bus to Laughlin, Nevada, their destination for the summer. Yeah, it was interesting, kind of a culture shock right away because uh, in San Francisco you see a lot of these like very free kind of looking people, like hippie looking people. They've like dreads and all these clothes and um, like I, I haven't seen this kind of people in Russia. That was my first impression of United States, kind of this Greyhound bus station. <laughs> But I was impressed with, like, how free people looked, you know? I always was attracted to the kind of creative people and uh, interesting-looking people, so it kind of impressed me. And I remember going to the restroom in the Greyhound bus station, and all the restrooms were full of water. And I was like, wow, that's United States, and, like, all of their restrooms are broken because in Russia you don't have water in the actual toilet, you know, bowl. You don't have water. And here, all the bowls were full of water. And I was like, what kind of country is this? Like, <laughs> all their restrooms are broken. In the station, I went to, to buy the ticket to the Laughland, uh, you know, and I was standing in line. And uh, some guy, just few few people um, behind me in Russian asked me, like, if I need some help. And I I, really, I was really surprised because he was not looking like a Russian guy because he had, like, uh, long hair and, like, kind of hippie-looking. But I wasn't surprised that he asked me because I had the Russian-English dictionary in my hand because I was like, okay, that's going to help me to buy the ticket. So I told him no because I'm kind of a shy uh, person, so I'm like, no, thank you. And then I come up to the window to buy a ticket, and I realize, like, although I can understand English, like, the speaking and, like, comprising a sentence for me was very hard at that point. Yeah, I, I was really, how you say it? Discombobulated? Yeah, discombobulated and couldn't just even 
like buy the ticket. And so I, I turned back. I was like, yes, please, I need help. And so he, he came over and he helped me to buy the ticket for me and my friend. And then after that, we just started talking. And because we had another like, I think we had six hours until the bus was supposed to take us. And we couldn't go in, and walk anywhere at San Francisco because we had our bags with us. So we were just stuck there at the Greyhound bus station. And we just started talking to this guy. We just, for hours. While getting to know this stranger in the bus station, Anna and her friend peppered him with questions about what it was like to live in the United States. Suddenly, their new acquaintance, Oleg, had an idea. Maybe like one hour before we're supposed to go on our bus, he he said, me and my friend have a car, like, and we have a few days. Like, why don't we just drive you there? You know, it would be nice for us to travel, and we're just going to drive you to Lifeland. And we're like, okay, (laughs) maybe not. We we talk about it with my friend, but I don't know. There's like sometimes you just go with your gut feeling and you just trust the people, you know. I usually, that's how I do. I just go with my gut feeling, and at that time, that's how I felt. I don't know why. We just trusted them, and we just returned our tickets right then and there, and then went the two of them, strangers, <laughs> drive to the Laughlin. When they arrived in Laughlin, they quickly realized this may not be the best place for them after all. Their new friends offered them another possibility. Just return to San Francisco with them. So after all this consideration, which took like maybe half a day, we decided we're going to go back to San Francisco. <laughs> because <laughs> the life is in Loveland, it's, yeah, it's not a life. It's, it's hot and it's, it's like it was hot like hell. Back on yet another road trip with their new friends, Anna and Oleg's friendship quickly grew into something more. Yeah, we, I kind of like him right away, kind of, but it took us, you know, being with each other for like a week or so to kind of, yeah, get attracted. To really get yeah, to, to really get to know each other, yeah. As their relationship developed, Anna focused on starting a life in San Francisco. Oleg, though, was about to move to San Diego for college and soon desperately wanted her to join him. You know, listening to my gut feeling and... Yeah, kind of being very in love. And I said, yes, I'll go. And then we bought another ticket for Greyhound bus station and went to San Diego together. <laughs> Did you guys have other friends here or was it pretty? No, it was nobody else I knew. And he knew. It was me and him, that's it. Yeah, he hadn't started school yet, no. so it wasn't like he was, so it was Yeah, it was two of us. But it was enough because when you start the romantic relationship, you just like really want to spend time with each other. It's all you want to do pretty much. So you don't really need anybody else. <laughs> Yeah, it was nice. I remember taking like a bus to the beach, to La Jolla Beach, which would take you like an hour. Like right now driving is like, you know, 15 minutes, but there it would take us hours to go and spend time at the beach. But it was like, I don't know, it was so much fun. As part of the matriculation process to start school, Oleg went through a seemingly routine physical, but it turned out not to be so routine after all. It was like crazy, like you have this like, everything goes so well and everything great and uh, yeah, and you just like do this like routine test and they tell you you have a tumor and oncologist basically when we end up there, he t- uh, she told us that he has like a 50% chance of surviving this kind of um, tumor. So they, they gave him 50% prognosis. His mom came back, came, and I remember she, when they gave him a diagnosis, she kind of 
that, you know, took me aside and talked with me. And she said, like, you know, it's a serious thing. And I know you just met. Um, and you pretty much like you need to decide for yourself. Like nobody going to judge you if you leave right now, pretty much. Because, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing uh, that he's going to go through. No, for me, I was always very romantic uh, person. Like I grew up on books, like about like Romeo and Juliet. And when you just you fell in love, and that's it. You like you die together. You know, it's like I don't know. A lot of Russian literature is is like that. It's a lot of like a romanticism of love and relationship. And it's you kind of you you find somebody and you stick with each other for good or bad. And especially because we were like in the beginning of these relationships and when it's happened, I remember just like, just, yeah, crying, crying and crying and being like so upset because it's like it was so sudden and unexpected. But it's like, it's never even in my mind once I thought like, or now I cannot like be with him. No, it's like, it was like, yeah, now I can lose this person I love, but I'm not going to leave him now because of that. You know, it's never crossed my mind, that's for sure. I don't know, it's just like, it's given you love somebody, like you're not going to leave them now, you know? Especially when the perfect look perfectly fine, you know? Like you you cannot see the tumor, he has no symptoms of a tumor, like it's just, it's just somebody tells you he has it, but like he doesn't look like he does, you know? The first treatment, I remember going with him, it was chemotherapy, and it uh, was at UCSD, Hillcrest. And so, yeah, we went together. I was sitting with him there for a little bit, and then I went shopping. Like, you know, because it takes hours. And I remember, I even remember the pants I bought. I bought this, like, beautiful green pants in some kind of a Hillcrest store while he was there. Because, you know, you feel like, oh, he's going through the treatment, everything's going to be fine, you know. His attitude towards it was, like, amazing. While I was, like, crying and being, you know, I've been very emotional about it. He, like, he just took it, like, okay, like, nothing happened. Like, you know, the life is going on, go on and uh, I'm just, yeah, I'm just going to go through these treatments, but it's not going to take away from whatever else I'm doing in life, you know. I'm still going to kind of lead the normal life. So it felt, like, very normal. Yeah, it wasn't change in personalities. It was just like something new normal for you. And you just, you still develop your relationship. You still love each other. You still do like everything else is normally. You just go for treatments now, you know, and you lose your hair now. And then for him, it was like, I don't know, like nothing much happened. Maybe he got it, in, like maybe he was going for some stuff in sight. I don't know. But it was kind of very reassuring to me because when you have this kind of person who who is, seems very strong, so I, I, I was able to be weak. And we never, like, talk about it, like, oh, what's going to happen? Or, like, no, we just, you just hope for the best and you're like, okay, it's going to be okay. You know, you have like, 50%. And um, and then when you go for chemotherapy, they tell you, like, they, they do continuous testing and then tell you, like, oh, the tumor is shrinking and, you know, you kind of hope for the best. So that's what you leave. You leave with this hope that everything's going to be okay. After his first round of treatment completed, 
Oleg resisted another round initially, anxious to explore more alternative options, something Anna was not so sure about. I couldn't support him or not support him at that time because I didn't know much about, like, you know, medicine and human body and, like, and cancer. I had no idea anything about organic. I never read ingredients. I would eat anything and everything. It wouldn't matter. Uh, but, yeah, he taught me a lot about, like, health, I think. But for his kind of cancer, it wasn't enough to just eat healthy because it was very aggressive. After initially showing signs of improvement, Oleg's condition started getting worse. He soon relented and received more treatment, including surgery and radiation. Still, his health continued to decline. Then one morning, he awoke without feeling in his legs. The doctors came in to tell him, like, what's happening. And um, it was, like, so, so hard, like, breaking to hear somebody tell you that you're never going to walk again. And they told him, like, you're never going to walk again. And you're probably going to, you know, you have another probably, like, four months to leave. And then after that, they left, <clears throat> and we were waiting until they're going to release us from there in the room. And he said, he said something, I don't remember exactly, but he said something along the lines, like, it was just like, I'm, I'm really going to miss, like, this kind of the love and the beautiful thing we had together, you know? And that's the only one time he actually mentioned something about him dying, you know, but that's the only one time. And like, I would, I would never feel secure to start talking about it. Like, I didn't really know much, like what to talk about. So I would never talk about it at the end. You think about it a lot, but you would never start the conversation, especially with the person who himself don't want to talk about it. In the emergency room, they pretty much told us, we cannot do for you anymore. There's no other treatments. Um, you can go, like, pretty much, yeah, you can go to the hospice or you can stay at home and then the hospice can come to you. And then, um, yeah, and that's what we chose. He was like, yeah, I want to go home. I want to go home. And then they would send, like, hospice? They would send a nurse. <laughs> it was like, yeah. The nurses, I remember they were, like, just hugging and, like, hugging and crying to me. And, like, now I realize, like, you know, they, they, they hospice nurses, they see it all the time. And, like, maybe because our situation was, like, that dear, we was, like, two, 20 years old, you know, by ourselves. Um, and... But it was the best for me. Like, when somebody just hugs you and cried of you. Like, you cannot do anything else. But I remember it was very... It was very healing, you know? Because, like, there is, like, other human being just, un like, understands you. And, like, feel kind of your pain. Oleg passed away at the age of 20, not two years after Anna and his first meeting in line at the bus station in San Francisco. I basically, when he passed away, I was like, it shook me to the core, but it's changed my 
my relation to life, you know? I was like, okay, if I I really need to be happy, I really need to enjoy life. I was like, because I saw how quickly you can die, you know? And so I was like, okay, I just, you have this drive to leave after you see something like that happens, you know? And especially when you're so young as well, you know? So yes, I was... I was absolutely devastating. I was sad. I think I went through like a stage of depression, you know, and I remember people telling me like, oh, maybe you should go and take, you know, some kind of antidepressant. But I like, I didn't want to take anything. I'm like, I want to experience this sadness because the sadness is normal in this kind of, in this situation, you know, it was like a normal part of the process. Eventually, Anna began taking classes and becoming more and more interested in the medical field particularly in alternative and more holistic forms of treating the body. After finishing her undergraduate degree, she went on to become an ND, a naturopathic doctor. I just realized how I enjoy all those classes because now I was really interested in what actually going on in the body, you know, because I had, I had this experience of, you know, seeing how the body can work and then how it can not work properly. Anna's experience with the hospice nurses who consoled her during her most difficult days has had a lasting influence on how she herself approaches patients. You not necessarily sometimes need to give people all the answers. You just need to be there for them, just to hold the space for them, you know, to, um, to try to understand what they feel, you know, instead of, like, trying to, like, console them or trying to... Uh, tell them it's going to be okay or, you know, because it's, it's, not, it's not what heals. What heals is like to be totally present with them and make them feel that you understand them. As Anna recovered and began to build a life for herself with a new focus, she also became open to finding love again. And it's like you, you start realizing like, okay, I have, I always going to have this love for this person, you know, but it's just like, it doesn't, it doesn't stop me from loving somebody else. I had this realization that, like, I need to live my life because, like, the life can be so short. I want to be happy and, like, have a full life. So when I met somebody and I really liked them, I was like, yeah, I totally went into this new relationship being very, um, you know, being very happy. I had the persistent thought in my mind through, like, the process when the Oleg was sick and, like, there was, like, the possibility of him dying was very strong. I was like, I was looking at people and like, it's always like all these problems you have, like, it's like nothing. Like I thought like, I would love to have your problems. You know, if the people like starts complaining at me about like something, I was like, wow, it's like, it's nothing. When you have like, when you have like a death of somebody you love looming, you know, like all these little problems, they like, they disappear. They does not matter. I appreciate this experience right now because it's I, I it's I learned so much from it. Like really. I became like a better person out like coming out of it. Yeah, it was like absolutely beautiful experience, like the whole thing, you know, sad but very beautiful. Thanks for listening. You can find more from Anna on our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, 
at myfirstdaystories. Our email is myfirstdaystories at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, leaving a review or just telling your friends about us is definitely appreciated. My First Day is produced by me, Andrew Bracken, with additional help from Melissa Diaz. Music by Chris Curtis. Additional music by Jules Blueprints and Allison Abels. Support for this program comes from the KPBS Explore Local Content Fund, supporting new ideas and programs for San Diego. For KPBS, Melanie Drogseth is Programming Coordinator, Nate John is Innovation Specialist, Lisa Jane Morissette is Operations Manager, Jill Linder is Programming Manager, and John Decker is Director of Programming. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of My First Day.